Osteomy Nurse Project. Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Osteomy Nurse Project. I am Felicity, and today's episode, we're going to be covering everything to do with hydration. So drinking water, drinking fluids, maintaining good hydration, maintaining your fluid intake, All of these terms are terms that if you've ever had some sort of bowel operation or bladder operation, the nurses will harp on at you about maintaining good hydration. And there's a lot of reasons for this. And in particular, water keeps us alive. We are 60% water. So the importance of hydration for any of you who have a stoma is going to include things like making sure that your fluid balance is adequate enough so that your stoma functions correctly, that you're not getting dehydrated, and that you're not increasing the chances of developing electrolyte imbalances or infections. Now, the other really important thing about maintaining proper fluid intake and good hydration is that the concept goes across all stomas, no matter the type. Colostomy, ileostomy, urostomy... Continent stomas and pouches that may need irrigation with a catheter, water plays, or fluids in general, plays a very important part in making sure that you can function normally as a human being. So also in this episode, I'm going to be covering the basics. So what is dehydration? So how does dehydration happen in the body? We're going to look at the causes of dehydration and how somebody might become dehydrated. We're going to have a look at the signs and symptoms of each stoma and what dehydration may look like. So what dehydration may present as for a person with an ileostomy, how it may look or signs and symptoms for people with a colostomy, and the same for urostomy. We're going to also talk about what to do if any of these signs occur, so how to fix hydration or lack of hydration at home and are trying to avoid uh, admission to hospital for really severe cases. And then we're also going to look at how to prevent it in general, so how to make sure that you are maintaining your fluid balance and so that you don't become dehydrated. We're also going to talk about things like how much fluid should males and females be drinking, how to prepare rehydration solutions, or what solutions that are out there on the market that you can purchase so that you can consume it if you do suffer from signs and symptoms of dehydration. So let's get cracking, everybody. First up, we live on a planet that is made up of 70% water. And our human bodies have evolved to live comfortably on our planet that is made up of 70% water. So within that, it's reasonable to understand that our bodies are made up of anywhere between 60 to 70% water themselves. Water is what keeps us living. And we lose water from our bodies. Water exits our bodies through breathing, crying, through our skin, by urinating and through pooping. So we lose water and fluids from our body constantly. So we have to replenish those fluids so that we can maintain homeostasis, which is a fancy nursing term for keeping everything inside our body ticking over nicely so that we stay alive and that our hearts keep beating and that our brains keep working. And we do that by the brain sending electrical signals out to the body to move, to breathe, to function. And that's why we have electrolytes, because electrolytes are the cells that float around in the water in our body. And for those of you who have uh, updated your science knowledge or those of you who enjoyed science class, we all know that electricity is really well conducted through water. 
So it makes sense that having that larger percentage of water in our body is the best conductor to send electrical impulses from our brain to the rest of our body to stay alive. So if we didn't have water in our body, the electrical signals wouldn't be conducted as efficiently, so water is vital for us to remain alive and functioning. So as I've just said, the brain is able to control your body through electrical impulses that run through electrolytes in your cells like salt. Salt is an electrolyte. And when the balance of electrolytes is off, it's unbalanced, you become dehydrated and it may be harder to move, it may be harder to think, it may become harder to see and it can kill you. So they are some of the signs and symptoms of dehydration. So they can range from minor to severe signs. So things like, as we've just been talking about, an increased thirst. You may have a dry mouth. You may suffer from weakness, lethargy. You may even get dizzy spells. You can have heart palpitations. You may even start becoming confused. You may lose the ability to sweat, which means excreting water from your skin. You may feel very dry which can lead to heat stroke. You will also see things like a decrease in urine output and even constipation. Now, when the brain detects that your blood is too salty, so when the ratio of water to salt is out of balance and you are dehydrated, so that means that the salt in your body is more concentrated, it generates a thirst response. And it is essentially the response to unbalanced fluids in the body. Now, while your brain is sitting there trying to tell your mouth that it's thirsty and it creates that sensation of you feeling parched or dry and that makes you want to drink water, at the same time that this is going on, your little kidneys are sitting there waiting to do their job. And the role of the kidneys is to maintain body fluids like blood and water and electrolytes at a constant volume and a constant concentration. That's how we maintain balance. It's all done through your brain and your kidneys. And that brings us to our very first fun fact of this episode, which is talking about the kidneys. And interestingly enough, exactly half of one single kidney is capable of doing the job that is performed by your two kidneys together. So that means that if you have your two kidneys inside, if you only had one half of a kidney left over for whatever reason, it could potentially perform the function of what both kidneys currently do at the moment. So that makes the kidneys pretty amazing. And that also brings us to the function of the kidneys when we get dehydrated and how the kidneys balance the fluid concentrations in our system to keep us healthy. Let's look at this process in terms of people who have a stoma. So no matter what the stoma type, colostomy, ileostomy, urostomy, let's look at the normal functioning of water in the system. So there are receptor cells in the brain that detect the fluid volume in your blood. And they measure things like your blood pressure, the level of electrolytes versus the level of water, and the level of pressure that the fluid exerts on the vessels in your brain. If you have too much water in your blood, the brain secretes a hormone uh, called antidiuretic hormone. If you've heard of diuretics before, diuretics make you pee or they make you release water. So antidiuretic hormone will conserve urine. So if there's too much water in the blood, the brain will send a message to decrease the level of ADH hormone 
so that it will increase your urine output to get rid of that excess water in your body. Conversely, if you do not have enough water in the blood, for instance, if you are dehydrated, the levels of ADH hormone from your brain will increase. It will pump out more hormone to conserve urine, to hold on to the water that's currently in your blood, to preserve that pressure and the electrolyte levels. Now, the kidneys can continue to filter urine and they will continue to produce water, but what you will notice is that you get more concentrated urine and you will have that sort of darkish yellow, perhaps an odorous type urine output in much less volumes than what you would normally. In these cases, you can survive quite well on that. You're still living. You don't get terribly sick from being just dehydrated. Now, the problem with this is that the hormone, antidiuretic hormone or ADH, can only hold on to what fluid we currently have in our bodies. So unless we drink more water or introduce more fluids into the body to bring that balance back, we will continue to hold on to the fluid that's in there and that will become more and more concentrated and so will the electrolytes. And in some cases, we can conserve so much fluid that we start to draw fluid out of our cells. And that's when we start to get really sick. If we're not replacing enough fluids to make up for the hormones that are holding on to the water that we have, it will continue to concentrate. The electrolytes then become out of balance because we're pulling fluid out of cells and cells need fluid and water to survive. And if we're sucking water out of that to dilute the electrolytes in our system, we then become sick. Now, let's just look at those people who have a urostomy or an ileal conduit. Water loss can build up wastes and particularly acids in the body and can clog the kidneys with proteins, muscle proteins in particular. So dehydration can contribute to things like kidney stones, urinary tract infections, But if you are adequately hydrating and drinking enough water, kidney stones don't form as easily. So if there's not enough water to stop crystal formation, you have less chance of developing kidney stones. Water can also help antibiotics dissolve and travel to the parts of the body that are affected. So if you have a urostomy and you happen to have what we call urosepsis, taking on water, drinking plenty of water will help the effect of antibiotics if you are given them. And water also helps to flush out germs through increased urine. And you've heard me speak about it in previous episodes about the urostomy, the importance of hydration when you have an ileal conduit formed to keep flushing that mucus out of that small conduit of bowel. And that keeps the ureters constantly draining so that bacteria can't enter and go up into your kidneys. But if you are dehydrated, you have less urine output. It becomes more concentrated and it allows for bacteria to proliferate and end up going up into your kidneys and causing urosepsis. Let's look at another scenario for people who have an ileostomy, whether it's a loop or an end, it doesn't matter. Because ileostomies have the tendency to put out more liquid output, you are naturally losing more water than if you were a person who was using their large intestine, because the function of the large intestine is to absorb water. So in the absence of a colon that's functioning, 
you are losing more water. So we always encourage you when you have an ileostomy, whether it's brand new or long term, to drink plenty of water and increase your salt intake. And those two things together can help keep you hydrated. Because what can sometimes happen is you can have high output from your stoma, which means it's really watery, large volumes of poop. And it can make you very unwell if it goes on for too long because of the steps that I've just explained about the kidneys. The kidneys will still regulate the fluid going through your system. When you have high output from your stoma, sometimes it can make you feel a little bit unwell. If you are a person who's just had your operation, you may be slightly nauseated, you may not feel like eating a great deal. Now, if you are not eating and drinking at this time, but you are in hospital, we often bulk you up with some intravenous fluids. But once you go home, if you continue to have this liquid output from your stoma, but you're feeling sick, the last thing that you are going to want to do is chug water. And what happens is you start getting dehydrated, but you don't realize straight away. And through not eating foods that have a fluid content and through not drinking water, your kidneys will start to conserve fluid in your urine. So those with an ileostomy, if you're getting dehydrated, you might find that you have less urine output or it might be more concentrated. You might be feeling thirsty, which is that reflex that your brain sends you to tell you to drink water. But if you feel sick, you're not inclined to want to drink water and maintain your hydration. But at the same time, your stoma is still putting out large volumes of liquid. So if this continues, your kidneys will keep holding on and holding on and further concentrating the electrolytes in your blood system to a point where the kidneys can work so hard at maintaining that fluid in your body. If you are losing too much fluid from your stoma at the end and not replacing it, you can sustain what we call acute kidney injury, sometimes referred to as renal failure. But that's a condition where the kidneys cannot cope, they become injured, and they start to dysfunction. Now, that's a very extreme case of what can happen with long-term high output or with extended periods of dehydration. But it's a very real condition that a lot of people with stomas may experience at some point in their stoma life. Now, dehydration can also happen for those who have a colostomy. Let's not forget the colostomy. In a colostomy, although you are not losing fluid per se, you are tending to have more solid, firm, soft bowel motions. You can experience diarrhea with a colostomy. So sometimes you can lose a lot of fluid that way if you happen to have a tummy bug, if you are receiving chemotherapy that upsets the mucosa of your bowel so that you have diarrhea. You can lose fluid through a colostomy. But in general, if you are dehydrated with a colostomy, what you often tend to find is that the consistency of your stools will thicken right up. You will have firm stools, you may have hard stools, and you can effectively become constipated with a colostomy. Because what happens is if you are not drinking enough water to allow adequate amounts of feces to come out, your large colon will still continue to absorb water from what is going into it. And it will hold on to that fluid and continue to absorb water if you are dehydrated. And that means at the very end of your colon or at the end of your stoma, by the time it comes out, it's had an awful lot, nearly all of the fluid volume absorbed from it. And that can be 
difficult in terms of pouching. So you may find that if you are constipated or you have thick or firm stools with a colostomy, you may experience pancaking with your bags, which for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's where the feces is so thick that it sticks to the top of the bag and doesn't drop down into it. And it ends up pushing underneath the flange and it can cause leakages. Quite frustrating. But you can experience pancaking if you your fluid input is not adequate and you're finding that your stool output is too thick or firm or hard to drop down into the bag. Now it can also interfere with your bowel functions. Because you can get constipated with a colostomy, you can become acutely unwell and you can suffer from what we call fecal loading or even fecal impaction, which is where the stool becomes so hard that it's impossible to move through your colon. And in some cases, it requires admission to hospital for treatment. And in very severe cases, fecal impaction can be one of the causes of people having to undergo stoma surgery through uh, a perforated bowel if the feces is too thick and too hard to be moved out of the colon. So there we go. They're the three distinct differences between what dehydration does to those with different types of stomas. So with a urostomy or ileal conduit, the urine output can become very concentrated. It can become very dark. You may notice that your mucus output becomes very thick and gluggy, almost like a snotty kind of green mucus. Um, You might find that there's a distinct odor in your urine output and you may potentially become unwell and develop a bacterial infection, otherwise known as urosepsis. For people with an ileostomy where they do have frequently liquid outputs from their stomas, if they are not maintaining hydration, that output can increase You can get high output from your stoma and you cannot replenish the water in time. That concentrates and causes an imbalance in the level of electrolytes or salts in your blood and your body tries to rectify that with inputting more water and secreting hormones to try and hold on to that fluid balance to keep your blood pressure and your blood levels stable. But if you can't take in water and you continue to dehydrate, you go into what we call acute renal failure where the kidneys can no longer cope. And then with colostomies, if you're not drinking enough water, you can suffer from constipation. Sometimes, in worst case scenarios, you can suffer from fecal loading or fecal impaction. So what do you do if these signs occur, if you're noticing that you are dehydrated? You can do lots of things aside from just drinking water. You can uh, suck on icy poles. Icy poles that are nice and frozen or cold can sometimes be more palatable for people to take in, particularly if you're feeling unwell and you don't want to drink large volumes of water. Sucking on an icy pole can help um, with a like almost like a slow trickle of fluid into the system that will be absorbed. You can try juices. You can try sports drinks. I'm going to talk about sports drinks in a minute when I talk about rehydration solutions and the differences between those and commercial sports drinks. But you can also do things like sucking on ice chips. You can take on other rehydration solutions. Whatever you can do to get fluids in that you can tolerate is the best way to get it in, and that's different for every person. Now, how to prevent dehydration from happening in the first place. So before you even get to the dehydrated stage, it's important to make sure that you understand 
what activities you're going to be doing and the risks that that poses for you developing dehydration. So if you are a person who exercises frequently, make sure you take plenty of fluids with you. You may choose to do your exercises either very early in the morning or late in the evening where you're not exposed to um, severe heat or sunlight for long periods. You also need to plan things like avoiding lots of alcohol consumption, particularly if it is hot because alcohol and uh, things like coffee and caffeine can dehydrate you in periods of extreme heat, extreme temperatures, or if you're out uh, performing activities in high temperatures. So with these sorts of activities as well, you also want to make sure that you've got a lot of supply of fluids with you. So if you know that you're going to be out for extended periods of time, take a drink bottle with you, make sure that you're sipping on it constantly. And that will make sure that you're maintaining your hydration levels so that you don't end up losing too much fluids and becoming dehydrated. So how much fluid should you actually be drinking? Research suggests that men should be averaging, averaging, I say, 3.7 litres per day and women is about a litre less, 2.7 litres per day. Now, not all of that has to be just water. And I say this to a lot of my patients, you don't have to sit there guzzling water. Me personally, I cannot stand drinking just water. For me to drink water, it has to have a lot of ice in it and I have to sip it over a very long period of time. That's just me. I don't like drinking water and a lot of other people don't like drinking it too. But you don't just have to have water to remain hydrated. So around 80% of total daily water intake should be obtained from any beverage and only about 20% of your fluid should come from the food that you eat. So you do absorb some liquid from the foods that you eat, but in general, about 80% of what you're putting into your body, your fluid levels, should come from drinks. So that can be anything like water, juice, mineral water, um, coffee, tea, we do caution you on drinking high levels of caffeinated drinks because caffeine is a stimulant and that can in fact further dehydrate you um, if you're drinking too much of it. A little bit is okay, perhaps one cup to two cups a day, but any more than that, you should be very careful because caffeine can further dehydrate you. Other sources of oral fluids include things like soups, watery fruits, uh, things, they're things like your vegetable soups, ones with a high liquid content. So not necessarily your creamy soups, but more your liquid soups, your vegetable broths, those sorts of things that you can sip on, particularly if you're not feeling very well. Soups are a great way to take on liquids without having to guzzle large volumes of water. And even fruits like grapes, watermelon, very high fluid content fruits and vegetables, even things like cucumber, has enough water content in it to help keep you hydrated during times of high activity or in general. Let's talk rehydration solutions. So we've just talked about fluids that you can drink to make sure that you stay hydrated. If you are dehydrated, many of you have probably heard about or had at some point in your life if you've ever had diarrhea or gastro or something like that, you've probably heard of rehydration solution. So these are things like gastrolyte, hydrolyte, pedialyte, wherever you're listening from, you would have some sort of rehydration solution available to you from your chemist or pharmacist. 
And these rehydration solutions are designed to replenish the fluid levels in your body, but also the electrolyte levels. Because if you're dehydrated and unwell, your electrolyte levels, so your levels of salts and things like your potassiums and and chlorides and things like that are unbalanced. So rehydration solutions implement those electrolytes back into your body at a balanced rate. And one of the things that's also commercially available that people think is very good for rehydration with dehydration are things like your sports rehydration drinks, your Powerade, Gatorade, um, those sorts of drinks, you know, all the fancy colors, the blues, the pinks, the reds, the whites, the yellows, the oranges, and all the fancy different flavors like, you know, the blue heaven or blue blast, those sorts of fancy drinks that you can get from your supermarkets. Now, they do provide some sort of rehydration on some level. They do contain electrolytes for their replacements. And they, are, they can be very good if you are a person who doesn't like to drink water. You can drink those sports-related hydration drinks to maintain your fluid levels. Unfortunately, what tends to happen is, and this is a little bit of a marketing ploy, sports hydration drinks have a lot more sugar added to them. So for instance, let's look, let's compare hydrolyte to say Powerade. Hydrolyte has approximately about 80 calories in it. So so sugar in the form of glucose. Glucose is added to assist with the absorption of the fluids and electrolytes going into your body. Okay? So in sports drinks, you also have glucose, but the calorie amount in in commercially available sports drinks is anywhere from 260 to 300 calories per bottle. Now that may be a 600 ml bottle to a one liter bottle. If you drink an entire bottle of that, that's about 300 calories in sugar alone. Now here's where it gets sneaky. The sports companies that produce these drinks add a little bit more sugar, A, for taste and flavor, but B, because If any of you have ever seen the ads for people who drink these drinks, they do that whole, oh, I feel so energized. I feel great. They get this hit of energy and they say, oh, the electrolytes are all replaced in my body. What's actually happening is the increased levels of sugar in these drinks is giving them a sugar high. And that's generally what that is, that burst of energy that they're getting. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It can give you energy. And if you've had gastro or something like that and you are drinking these drinks they can make you feel much much better but beware of drinking them too often because the deceptive part about these commercially available sports drinks is the increased sugar that makes you think that you feel better because of the electrolyte replacement where in fact the increased sugar is simply giving you a temporary sugar high to make you think that the drink is doing its job and that it's a fantastic product that you should keep drinking and that you should promote to all your friends to start drinking too. So in terms of stomal therapy nursing, if we're going to recommend a rehydration solution to anybody, we'll either recommend it in the form of the chemists available ones. So like I said, your gastrolyte, hydrolyte, those sorts of rehydration solutions. But in hospital, we can also teach you to make your own. And the make your own version that you may hear of uh, in terms of hospital Uh, grade preparations is what we call St. Mark's solution. And St. Mark's solution is a very basic rehydration solution that can be mixed up 
and put into any fluid. It's recommended by the World Health Organization and it's often prepared for um, adults and children in third world countries who need immediate rehydration. It's very simple to put together and I'm going to tell you how to put that together yourself. You can mix up the solution and dilute it into water or you can uh, mix it up into bottles and store it in your fridge so that it's nice and cold for you to drink. So to make up your own oral rehydration solution, in one litre of water, you mix six level teaspoons of sugar, any sugar, you mix it in, it's all dissolving, half a level teaspoon of salt, half a level teaspoon of sodium bicarb, and then you can dilute that further with some fruit juice to taste or something like that to make it palatable. Because I can tell you, if you are just drinking rehydration solution in water, it does not taste fabulous. It is like drinking salty sweet water. It's not great. So you can flavor it with certain fluids, but just beware again of the sugar content of what you're diluting it with. Don't mix it in pure fruit juice because the sugar content is going to be way too high and you're not going to get the adequate electrolyte re, uh, rebalancing effect. So you mix all of these ingredients into one liter of water and you drink sips of that rehydration solution approximately every five minutes to 10 minutes until you are urinating proper urine again. So the urine should be nice and pale, pale yellow, perhaps clear. If you're a person with a urostomy drinking oral rehydration solution, you should notice that you would have an increase in urine output again and it should uh, not have an odor and you should be able to see that the mucus coming out of your stoma is nice and thin and stringy again. Now you can continue rehydration solutions for approximately 24 hours out of the one bottle. Adults can drink up to three liters of rehydration solution in 24 hours. But what we generally recommend is if you are dehydrated, you can have a liter of water and a liter of rehydration solution in 24 hours. That's usually adequate. There are variations to that and some stoma nurses might suggest differently. But if you are just rehydrating yourself through oral fluids, that's something that we would recommend that you do. Don't just fill up on water alone because it can further dehydrate you if you are already unwell because it is classed as what we call a hypotonic solution. And I'm not going to go into hypo and hypertonic solutions in this podcast episode. I'm going to be touching on it in the episode dedicated to high output stomas and the management of high output stomas. But just so that you know, and I'm just touching on it today, that you should really mix and match your fluid intake. It doesn't just have to be water. You should add a little bit of salt as well. So try a liter of normal water and a liter of rehydration solution. Whether that's chemist bought hydrolyte, whether it's rehydration solution that you choose to make yourself, or whether it's your sports, commercially available sports drinks from your supermarket. There's generally nothing wrong with that as long as you are getting fluids in. Okay, so that pretty much covers everything to do with dehydration and having a stoma today. I will be talking about it again in upcoming episodes related to different things, but this was just the episode to touch on the fact that you do need to maintain adequate hydration to keep your brain and your kidneys healthy and to keep your stoma outputs balanced. If you've got concerns about staying hydrated and you want to talk to someone about that, there's lots of websites online that can provide details about how to prepare oral rehydration solutions. Many of the ostomy companies also have their own pamphlets on staying hydrated and maintaining good fluid balance. So if you want to, you can get in touch with your company 
or the ostomy products that you use, call the company and request some information on dehydration. Otherwise, if you've got concerns about your fluid intake and that you may be becoming unwell with a stoma, be sure to contact a stoma nurse or your specialist for advice on how to get appropriate fluid intake. Well, thanks for listening to us today, guys. If you like the content that you're hearing, jump on the Ostomy Nurse Project either on uh, Apple Podcasts, so iTunes, YouTube or Spotify. Feel free to rate or leave a comment on what you've heard today and start telling all your friends and family about the Ostomy Nurse Project. Once I've presented up in Sydney at the AASTN conference coming up next week, hopefully the word's going to get out and people will start telling you about it a little bit more. But for those who are already on the wagon, I thank you very much. I've got over 200 downloads on our podcasts now, so that makes me feel wonderful because it makes me think that you guys want to listen to what I have to say. Tune in next time, guys, for another episode of the Ostomy Nurse Project. I'm Felicity, your Ostomy Nurse, coming to you from down under, right where your very well-hydrated stoma is. See you later.